Hello and welcome to this episode of Radio Free HPC. This is where we talk about supercomputing, high-performance computing, and other technology topics. I'm Dan Olds, joined as always by my co-host Henry Newman from Seagate Government Solutions and Shaheen Khan from Orion X. Now let's get to the show. Hey everybody, Dan Olds here with Radio Free HPC. Finally back for another scintillating episode. I'm sure all of you out there missed me as I was gone for the last, man, at least two shows. Right, guys? We went forward without you, Dan. You did, and you did a fantastic job. And the voices you hear, of course, are Shaheen Khan and Henry Newman, who are always here, and did a nice job in my stead as kind of driving your own bus. Some could even say an excellent job. I haven't heard that. (laughs) No, I heard it was okay. But I haven't heard excellent. I don't know. Maybe we, maybe we move in different circles. Clearly, Dan. Clearly, yes. <laughs> um, I'm not quite sure how to take that, so I'm just going to let that go. Anyway, reason I was gone last two times is because I was traveling to Australia to the 2019 HPC Advisory Council event in Perth. And that involved about 37, 38 hours of flying each way. Nice. Wow. Very nice. Nice. Very nice. What's the CPU time for that, Dano? How many hours in the air? How many hours in the air was actually, let's see, 16 plus 17, 20, 24? Shane, are you including taxi time or not? Are you including actual movement time? Uh, no, just in the air. Okay, just in the air then was 25. That's a lot. And plus I had a 12-hour airport layover in Perth, which I'm going to talk about for my catch of the week. But getting ahead of myself, one of the presentations there was from a company called Down Under Geo Solutions. They do seismic in Australia, but they have data centers, four data centers in the four corners of the earth. And you want to talk about extreme efficiency in the the exascale data center, which is the title of their talk. These guys took efficiency to extremes I have never heard of before. And we're going to take a look at that and what they do. Have you guys ever heard of them? I have not. Well, I think you're going to, because they're also at least kind of implying that they might be selling some HPC cycles. And they do some huge processing right now that, for instance, a seismic shot that took a ship 10 seconds to acquire takes 30 hours of compute. Wow. How much data is in the acquisition phase, Dan? We're going to talk about that a little bit, but he says you need a minimum of 10,000 CPUs to keep up with acquisition. CPUs or cores? I'm going to say cores. Okay. Yeah. Good. It'd be better to say what you really mean in the future. Hey, I'm going from the slides, pal. (laughs) You want to take it up with Stuart Midgley, you take it up with Stuart Midgley, but I'm thinking he'll probably kick your butt. (laughs) He's that kind of guy. (laughs) Right now, they are working on a 40,000 node HPC system, 15 megawatts in Houston. It's going to provide about 250 petaflops, single precision, full immersion cooling. Really? Yes. That's interesting. They've been doing full immersion for the past several years, kind of along the lines of what you've seen at trade shows with the tanks. Yeah, but how are they doing the file system and the storage and immersion? Well, the storage is SSDs, which are fully immersed. Oh, solid state. Or you can pull them. If you're going to use hard drives, you pull those out into an array. All right. But if you take a look at what they have, 80,000 network cables, 20,000 power cables, 240,000 DIMMs. 40,000 nodes, 500,000 liters of immersion fluid. 
and a file system that can do over one terabyte a second of sustained bandwidth. Curious if the file systems emerged. A file system is software. File system is software, but the hardware around it, if it's yeah, if it's SSDs, it's easier to do to get a terabyte. But if it's disk, that's a lot of work. Oh yeah, to seal all those drives. What I've seen. No, 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 no. I don't think you would emerge. You would take the risk of immersing hard drives. And they're using water, Dan. No. So they're, they're cooling the liquid with water or what? No, they're using a type of oil that's kind of like... But in the slides, it says to remove 15 yes. megawatts of energy, you need 800 liters of water flow. They're actually using an oil, and he put water in there to be able to give us something to compare it with a fire hose. Okay. The fire hose in the hotel he was referring to in the room does half a liter a second. What they're going to need to remove 15 megawatts of energy is 800 liters a second of fluid moving. Wow. And if you look at this, they've 15 megawatts of energy. They're paying $6.5 million a year for that, which means they are extremely efficient because typically it's about a million dollars a megawatt. And what kind of cracked me up was his definition of a data center, which I think somebody else said that it's a really expensive way of turning electricity into heat. (laughs) (laughs) And the power efficiency, and this was hard stuff to do in the U.S., they're using 415 watts coming in, not the typical wattage that you'd get from the utility. No, you're taking volts, Dan, I'm pretty sure. Or volts, excuse me, volts. So 415 volts converted to 240 volts. And most U.S. data centers bring it in from the line at 480 and then convert it down to 208 at 110. And each transformation, they lose 5% in typical data centers. These guys convert it once. And this is something that PUE calculations don't capture. And the power supplies on their systems are much more efficient at 240 volts, that they can go to one power supply for most systems as opposed to having two like you'd have to have at 115 volts. Right. So they they gain a couple more percent of efficiency from that, which PUE also doesn't capture. Then they take the fans off, right? Mm-hmm. And that's, again, something that PUE doesn't capture, but that is saving them uh, about 300 watts on a four-node cluster. Wow. Yes, it does. Identical workload. Yep. Fans are expensive. Fans are expensive and numerous. And noisy. And noisy, yes. And they would burn out pretty quickly if they were trying to move fluid around. They would. So anyway, they would. Getting, getting the fans out is great. Uh, they don't do a lot of UPS. They say that they spend their... Well, in Houston, that's kind of a concern. Well, you'll see. But he said at this point that they spend their money on being able to boot really, fa- really fast in case something goes down. They do use some... UPS, but not much. So with immersion cooling, they've calculated that this costs 2% of their total facility power, whereas refrigeration is about 30% if they went with air conditioning. Wow. That's a huge deal. And that 30% number I've seen before, that air cooling is about 30% of total facilities. And so balance that off against 2%. So looking kind of summing up their power savings, Right off the bat, just with liquid cooling and with the efficiencies that they've done, for the same number of flops, they're saving about 60% of power. And it also means lower capital cost for them. What does it cost to do the liquid cooling, though? Build the systems, and what's the cost there? 
to build the liquid cooling is, as on the other slide, about 2% of total facilities. They build their own tanks. They build their own tanks out of metal. Really? Next, they build their own PDUs. It's a 70-amp, three-phase circuit that goes to the tanks. And they found it was, because of the power savings, it was cheaper to build their own PDUs and get better monitoring and reduce the cabling. So that's what they did. Interesting. The other thing he says it's really important to them is the location that they selected. The data center's next door to one of the largest power switching facilities in Houston. And they have two feeds, one to the north, one to the south. Very little in terms of transmission losses. They're reducing the risk of an outage, you know, like the car hitting the power pole type of outage. Right. They also put their data center on a hill so that it has reduced flooding risk. Well, they have to, given Houston's had two 500-year floods in the recent years. Yeah, he said he's been there for both of them, building this thing out. And that they're, and they don't have UPS. And they don't have UPS except on a few systems. They have incredible densities. They're running 8.5 kilowatts per square meter, which is 800 watts per square foot, whereas a typical data center will run about 180 watts per square foot. And they have no need for raised floors because of the tanks. And so the, their density is what then? About 6x, 5x typical data center? That's pretty incredible. That is very incredible. That is. The only air cooling they're using is in the data center to keep it at 72, and then at night they let it go up to 86. No cooling under the floor because there is no under the floor. They're not um, cooling the pipes, which means no condensation. Got a very simple tank design. It is incredible what they've done. Sounds that way. And they've got a PUE of under 1.05, but they're better than that because a lot of the things they've done aren't measured in PUE. They don't come into the I was just going to crudely summarize what they've done by abandoning PUE as a metric. Yes. So it's interesting that they would then talk about the PUE. Well, it, because that's what that's what people know, Sheen, so they have to put it in context. Yeah, that's what we relate to. Tyranny of benchmarks, right? Yeah, he believes that PUE needs to be refigured and that every air-cooled data center needs to add into their PUE the cost of the air conditioning, the cost of fans, all that stuff. So are we going to see a new winner of the Green 500, Dan? Boy, if they submit this, I can't, I can't see how they wouldn't be. They better, right? Because they're saying they're better than Facebook data centers and Google data centers. They said that, let me hope I get this right, that they built 15 megawatts in the same money that Microsoft took to build a one megawatt data center. Wow. This is incredible what they've done. And as I mentioned, I believe the implication from them is that they're going to start looking for some more customers to help populate this and sell some cheap flops to some folks. Well, Dan, thanks for telling us about this. Can we put the slides up? Uh, yes, we can. Actually, what we will do is put a link to his talk. I'm video rendering it right now, and that'll be posted up on YouTube, the HPC Advisory Council channel. So that might even be better. Okay, we have a, another treat now. This is becoming an uh, ongoing feature here. And we're searching around for a name and a brand of it. But to me, the heart of it is 
Henry's another reason why you should never be online. <laughs> so, Henry, give us another reason. All right. Because I didn't know you were coming up with this today, Dan. I'm going to give some good news. Oh, no. The ransomware hackers got their own. The city of New Bedford, Massachusetts, and I put the link up to YouTube with the mayor explaining it, basically stalled long enough with the ransomware hackers, and they were able to restore everything, find out where the breach was, and restore all their data without paying a dime. Fantastic. Good job, New Bedford IT Department. And I guess that this is also advice to keep your applications up to date, close those doors before they get in, and keep some backups going back quite a ways. Well, that is a... (laughs) Yes. I think the next thing coming is they're going to bury the ransomware deep in the backup and then hit the button six, eight months later. Oh. I see this coming. Or even worse, could somebody bury it in some cheap hardware? Either way, Dan, I see them getting more strategic and not being as uh, less tactical. So again, this does go back to the title. It is another reason why no one should be online ever. <laughs> Let's just undo this so it whole does all circle internet back. thing. Let's just stop this whole thing because it's nobody's having fun now. It's just too dangerous. Well, that's great. Thank you for that, Henry. And hey, I hear a noise. That's a fishing boat. It's time for the catch of the week. I've got one. What do you got, Henry? MIT News. Pretty interesting. MIT engineers are building advanced microprocessors out of carbon nanotubes. Now, I remember, and I think it was supercomputing in Portland. It was a group that had some carbon nanotubes in the research area. But MIT building these microprocessors has a lot of interest to me because you significantly reduce the amount of power you need than you do with silicon. And secondly, it becomes radiation hardened. It's a lot of implications there. Yeah. It showed up on the roadmap from TSMC's talk at Hot Chips that as you move beyond seven nanometers towards five and three Mm. carbon nanotubes, we're on the roadmap of technologies that will get ready for production. So I read this as the academic part doing its work to prepare for that day. Well, I think the interesting thing, and I'll leave it at this, is that if you can do that, you come radiation hardened and you could move a lot of processing into space. Yes, that's exactly, that's what I was thinking about when you said radiation hardened. But didn't HPE have that in space supercomputer project just last year? Yes, they did. Yeah, they've got a little cluster, but it's highly shielded. It was not shielded. You're going to go to Mars, you're going to get a lot more radiation even and at the ISS. Level. I mean, I think they shielded that HP cluster, didn't they, Henry? No, they did not, is my recollection. They didn't? Ah, yeah. okay. But I seem to recall that said. there was no radiation issues going back and forth, either because they had enough shield in there, just by the enclosure that it comes in, and just UL certification is enough. Yeah. And why not just shield the whole thing, put it in the capsule, and you're done? Why do you have to go all the way down to chip level? Because shielding costs money and you have launch costs and weight and other things. In Shaheen, shielding doesn't cover everything. You could even mount these things on the outside of the capsule if they don't need to be shielded. Yeah, a lot of advantages. Good. You got a catch? I have a catch. So you may have heard of Deepfake. Yes. We've been talking about this on this show for quite a bit. There was an application, mobile application in China that went viral last week called Zao, Z-A-O. 
and they have now banned it, at least on WeChat, for data privacy issues. But essentially, you give it a headshot, and it will work you into whatever video clip you give it. Wow. And it is incredible. And it is just what's available on your phone. So imagine what the bad guys have with servers and systems and software and staff behind them. So this deep fake thing is coming, and it's coming strong, and I think it's going to impact elections and campaigns. There was an NPR article that talked about the impact of deep fake on elections coming, especially in the near future. And essentially, there's really no solution in sight. So it's a problem. But on the other hand, there's also an opportunity here that, for instance, when one of us can't be here because of travel, we could deep fake in the third guy. <laughs> I know our audience really will miss seeing everyone of us, so they would, they would appreciate that. Put up a video edition and deep fake in Henry, for instance. And for all I know, Henry's been a deep fake for the last 18 months. <laughs> That's not true, Dane. You saw me at supercomputing. Ah, that's a good point. <laughs> now, Dano, the voice part of deepfake is already a solved problem, too. Yes. Or more or less solved problem. Yes. So yep. now they can make deepfake with the same sound, with the same picture, in places that the person was never in, saying things they never said. And before you can raise a flag and say it's fake, it's already gone viral. It's a problem. Wow. It's a real problem. It's going to be interesting times. Speaking of that, I've got a uh, catch of the week that's actually more of a travel recommendation since that seems like that's all I've been doing the last three weeks. I noticed that there were showers in the terminal, and I'd never done that before. But you go to a little pharmacy and you can get kits like shower kits. And it was glorious to be able to take a shower in the middle of a 12-hour layover in Perth. It was fantastic. It was clean, only downside. Make sure you buy a towel because <laughs> I was forced to use paper towels to dry off. And that, that was not environmentally sound, Dan. No, no. Well, they were recyclable given they'd been recycled many times given the rough nature of them. <laughs> yeah, it was like drying off with cardboard, but that was glorious. Well, on that note, let's go ahead and call it a show. Thank you for listening to another edition of Radio Free HPC. Stay tuned. We have more content coming towards you and some exciting developments in the Radio Free HPC world down the road. Thanks again for listening. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Radio Free HPC. And as a quick note, the views and opinions of Henry Newman are his and do not reflect any policy or position of Seagate Government Solutions or Seagate Technology. Thank you for listening. 